Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. What a week, what a week, what a week, what a week. Uh, Welcome to NCAA Tournament Week. It's a big one. Merrimack and Quinnipiac, they're going to kick off the tournament Friday night at 5.30 down in Bridgeport. Uh, The audio, before we get too far into this, I know my audio sounds a little different today. I'm not in my little home studio that I have set up with my regular mics. I'm traveling. So on top of the craziness of this week, I'm actually traveling this week. So uh, I don't have my typical setup, but I did want to get a podcast in because it was an important week. NCAA tournament time for Merrimack. First time it's happened in 12 years. Uh, so a pretty big week coming up between Merrimack and Quinnipiac. We're going to talk about that game with Scott Boric in a little bit. But a couple of things I wanted to hit on uh, before before we get to the interview. Uh, I want to talk about Quinnipiac, number one, in the matchup and, and just what I think of the matchup and how last weekend went for Merrimack at the Garden. Uh, I want to talk about, too, the number of stories that are coming out this week. I've had a couple, uh, both on College Hockey News and in the Eagle Tribune. They're all going to be posted here on the Mac Report, uh, so you can check them out all on our site. If you're a subscriber, you're going to get them all emailed to you. Uh, a lot of really, really good stuff, and, and it started with uh, a 45-minute conversation that I had on Monday, <clears throat> excuse me, with Scott Boric uh, talking about the impact of, of Josh Siaco, not, not only on the Merrimack program, but on Scott personally. And it was a, it was a really good conversation. And I was glad, uh, you know, I was glad that at, at this point, Scott was comfortable enough to have that conversation. Because I know earlier in the year, obviously, it's, it's too fresh of a wound uh, to, to, to discuss. And, uh, you know, him and I had talked on Sunday and I said, hey, you know, ESPN is going to be all over this as a storyline next week in the tournament. So uh, if if you wanted to talk about it, I'd like to do something maybe before then, uh, just because, you know, it gives you a chance to kind of get the story out and say what you want to say and not be maybe not be rushed by by what you're feeling emotionally when, when you're being asked about it by you know producers from ESPN. So we agreed, okay, we're going to come in and talk, uh, you know, the following week, uh, the following day. So I went in and we had a conversation. I originally was going to do it as a feature story, you know, maybe a, a seven or 800 word feature story. But then as we got into it, I, I said, you know, every single story he's telling right now is fantastic. And I, I don't want to cut any of it. There, there's not enough space. There's not enough room to to run at all and it was going to go on college hockey news uh which is unlimited space but the, the tribune wanted something to use from it as well and they have limited space and i go there's not enough space to run this whole thing in the paper but uh, you know I, what do you cut here like every story he's telling was just fantastic uh from what the impressions were of josh when he recruited him as a player because he recruited him to play at unh to 
what he, you know, how their relationship evolved when he was a player at UNH and then how he got into coaching and a really good story about when, when he got the, the job at Brown <laughs> and how, uh, you know, Scott actually made a phone call for that job for somebody else. <laughs> uh, but Josh ended up getting the job. So it was just so many great stories. I said, you know what? I gotta, I have to post this as a Q and a, because it's just, it, 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 that's what it deserves. You know, that's what the story deserves. It wasn't something that you could get done in seven or 800 or even a thousand words. This was a, a 20 year story that, that needed to be told. Uh, and it takes, you know, a, a lot of words to, to tell it. So I decided when I got done with the interview, I said, Hey, I, I have to post this as a, as a Q and a, so that all, so all these stories can be published. Cause it was just, you know, it was so, it was so good. Uh, every story he told was fantastic. So that's what I did. It's, it's over 5,000 words. Uh, it's going to go up in the Mac report today. It was on CHN yesterday. Uh, I know many of you have probably already read it, but if you haven't had a chance to read it, you'll, you'll get an email to you if you're a uh, TMR subscriber, <clears throat> just unbelievable, unbelievable. And, and, uh, I said it to him when we were done with the interview, but I do want to publicly thank, uh, Scott Bork for sitting down and talking to me about it. Cause I'm sure it wasn't easy. Um, but you know, he, he was able to sit and, and kind of go through it with me and, and tell the story and tell so many other stories. Some of them were funny. Uh, a lot of them were funny. Um, and, and I'm really glad that, that we had the conversation cause I thought it was, I thought it was awesome and a really, really good tribute to Josh who, by the way, his finger, his fingerprints are all over this team as you might imagine, right? from recruiting guys, but just also the way that Scott talked about the way that he managed him. He tells a real funny story right at the bottom, uh, right at the bottom of at the end of the interview. I said, you know, do, do you still feel him around? And he said, yeah, you know, and <laughs> I'm paraphrasing here, but he goes, you know, you've seen me on the bench, Mike. Like I, I get a little nuts. I can be a little, and I get a little bit, a little crazy. can be a little bit of a lunatic. And, uh, he said that he, he thinks of Josh often when that happens because Josh would stay real composed. Scott would be flipping out the bench, and he goes, you know, Josh would just stay real composed and just kind of give me a look and stare at me and, and let me yell and scream and then just give me a smirk and be like, you know, it's fine. Like, relax. We're good. Uh, and, and, he, and he said that he found out from, from Josh's dad, Jody, that, you know, there were times where Josh would call home and be like, Scott was being a lunatic again. <laughs> um, but it was it was really good stuff, really good stuff. And, again, uh, from players he recruited, I, I don't know. So the recruiting process is done, you know, by a number of different people. Sometimes all three coaches, um, but I know some of the players specifically that Josh had a hand in recruiting because oftentimes he would be the one to let me know that they had committed. I uh, like when Matt when Matt Capone committed, he Josh was the one to let me know. I remember where I was when I got the text uh, because he was that excited about Matt Capone, and you know I follow recruiting a little bit. I know a little bit about these guys, but at that point, Capone was, I think, 17 years old. He may have been 16 years old. Uh, yeah, he may have been 16 or 17 years old. It was definitely 17 at the oldest. Uh, and he was going in was a uh, prep year at Dexter, and I think he had played a year at Dexter already. He was going to go be going into his second year at Dexter. And he texted me, and I, and I put this out on Twitter this week, and I said, you know, he, he texted me. He goes, I don't know if anybody told you yet, but we committed Matt Capone. I said, great, thanks for the heads up. And he kind of went through. He was like, you know, I can't believe, you know, more more schools weren't all over this kid. Like, this kid is a stud. And he said, you know, he named a couple schools. He was like, you know, this this one offered half. This one offered a full. This one offered a half. I think he said that Merrimack was the only hockey school to offer a full. 
Uh, I could be wrong about that. I'd have to go back and read the text. But in any event, he was like, I can't believe that every team in our league was not trying to get this kid. Like, he's a stud. He will be the best player in prep hockey next year. And because of COVID, there there was no next season of prep hockey that year. Uh, so we, we don't know if that would have been the case. But but Josh was convinced, like, this kid, is, no one's on this kid yet. Like, more teams should have been, and this kid is a stud. Fast forward two years, what are we seeing this year? Mac one of the best players on the team, centering the top line. Like, he had that ability to, to figure it out with players and – and and then same thing in the portal, like guys that they would have committed in the portal that a year ago when you heard their name and, and you didn't know much about them, you might sit there and say, I don't, I don't really know much about this guy. Um, you know, one of them was, was Ryan Liebold. I, I remember, I think it was him that texted me when, when they committed Ryan Liebold. Uh, I think it was, may have been Dan, but one, one of the two had said, Hey, you know, we committed this kid out of the portal and you're not going to believe this kid when you see him. Like I, he was such a pain because remember Merrimack played Holy Cross two years ago uh, when Lee Bold was a senior he said he was such a pain when we played against him that when we saw him in the portal we were like we got to have this kid like he's just a gamer um little things like that and, and you know I think uh, the same thing was a story with Steven Jandrick I think uh, Josh was the connection with Jandrick I believe because I think he was originally recruiting Jandrick to go to Alaska when he was the assistant coach at Alaska so uh, just his fingerprints are all over the team. You know, they, they, they really, really are. Uh, between players he recruited, just his impact on those players and, and helping those guys develop. Um, you know, his – I know I know Scott has said it, and, and it's absolutely true. His He's had as much of an impact on this year's team as, as any of the coaches have. And, uh, and, I, and I was glad that we were able to sit down and, and talk for 45 minutes about the type of impact he not only had – on the Merrimack program, but also the type of impact that he had on, on Scott personally, because uh, they went through a lot. I mean, you know a guy for 20 years, uh, you know, you go through a lot, and um, and I was glad that, that we got to, to share some of that with with uh, with people, because it was good. It was really, really good. Uh, all right, so Merrimack is going to be in the NCAA tournament this weekend. Uh, we found out, of course, after the loss in the, in the hockey's championship game to Boston University in overtime. Uh, but then St. Cloud State beating Colorado College in the NCHC final. That allowed Merrimack to get in as the last at-large bid. Uh, so Merrimack will play Quinnipiac on Friday at 5.30. The tournament kicks off on Thursday at 2 p.m. The first game is BU against Western Michigan. Uh, I'm going to fill out a bracket and get it up Thursday morning. i got to go through and really figure out some of the matchups are hard you know i was kind of going through matchups trying to pick teams and it's it's hard some of these games are some some years it's easy some years it's hard this year it's hard and i think it's because you know everybody in the top 15 of the pairwise was all really close there's some years where it's like well these two are clearly the top two i didn't feel that way this year because everybody was losing games you know Uh, some were losing less than others but everybody was losing games merrimack by the way here's the crazy thing Here's the crazy thing. If you take out that, what was it, 11-game stretch, so like five weeks that started the second half of the season, the the Dartmouth tournament, and then the next probably, uh, you have the Dartmouth tournament, you have the Brown-Yale weekend, the Providence weekend, the Northeastern weekend, and then the, the the two overtime losses to UNH and Maine. If you take out those five weeks... Where, by the way, in the interview about the, this season and, and Josh's impact, uh, 
Scott talks about that weekend, uh, the, the, that portion, you know, of, of the weekends. He, he talked about um, he talked about what had happened there and how he had didn't feel that he was as good because of coming out of break. How he just it took him a while to kind of get back into it. Anyway, um, if you take out that segment of the season, Merrimack started the year thirteen and four. They finished the year seven and one. With the exception of that one stretch, that one one month stretch where they did not play well, they're twenty and five. They're twenty and five over the, the course of the segment at the beginning of the season and the segment at the end of the season, which isn't much different from Quinnipiac's thirty and four when you consider the relative strength of each league. And I know. People are going to say, well, the ECAC had more teams in the NCAA tournament than Hawk East did. Yes. Okay. That's true. Colgate won an automatic bid. And, and good for them for doing it. Credit to them. Quinnipiac, Harvard, Cornell, those are the three teams that qualified and would have qualified as at-large teams. Where's the next one? And what I mean by that is the bottom half, the bottom half of the ECAC was bottom third in the country dartmouth uh brown like yale they're all 45th and below in the pairwise and hockey east didn't really have that like the, the next level of hockey east were 17 18 19 20 21 in the pairwise hockey east is a is a, is a stronger was a tougher league this year despite the fact the ecac has more teams in the tournament it's just it's kind of a weird way that 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 worked out someone i don't have the numbers so i'm going to be i'm going to be in the ballpark here, but someone told me last weekend, I think it was Brady Corbett, that the top three teams in the ECAC had like 75 wins this year. The bottom three teams in the ECAC had 25 wins. <laughs> like that was, that's the type of difference we're talking about. So, you know, I, I think Quinnipiac is a good team. That's not to diminish what Quinnipiac has done. They've played good teams this year. They've beaten good teams this year. They've also lost twice to Colgate. They've lost to Maine. You know, so there's some there's something there that I don't think that I think you look at their record and people can you know your eyes can open real wide when you see a thirty win team and you're like wow this team is unstoppable. Well, you know they looked that they looked that way last year too, and they didn't win their league tournament, and they lost in the regional final. They didn't make the Frozen Four. They won their first game. This year, they, again, look unstoppable. They win their, they, excuse me, they lose in their conference semifinal. They're going to make the final. And we'll see what happens in the NCAA tournament. One of the things that's interesting about the matchup with Quinnipiac, I think if there's a team that matches up well with Quinnipiac, it's a team that comes out of Hockey East, whether that's Merrimack or BU. I don't know what BU's record against Lowell was, and I'll explain to you why that's important. Quinnipiac is Lowell on steroids, for, for lack of a better term. They're Lowell with more skilled players, but they play a very similar style to UMass Lowell. So that component, I think, is important because not everybody plays that way. Lowell plays that way. Quinnipiac plays that way. Minnesota State plays that way, where it's really locked down defensively, protect the house, flood the middle of the ice with as many bodies as you can, you know, it's hard, physical, heavy, it's hard to play against them. Merrimack played a team like that three times this year, UMass Lowell. They went 3-0 and in those games. Now, Quinnipiac is a better team than UMass Lowell. Let, let me 
<laughs> come right on in front street and say that before people think that I'm saying that Lowell's a better team. Than, they're not. Quinnipiac's a better team than Lowell because they have more. They have more skill. This Quinnipiac team reminds me of the Lowell teams of five or six years ago. The Lowell teams that had C.J. Smith and Gambardella and Joe Pendenza, guys that could kind of lead the way from a scoring standpoint. Scott Wilson. This Quinnipiac team reminds me of those Lowell teams. Those really good Lowell teams. So this is a good hockey team they're going to be playing on Friday. You would expect that. It's the NCAA tournament. Uh, but I think that if there's a team that could knock off Quinnipiac, if there's a four seed out of the, the four seeds in the tournament, if there's a four seed that can knock off Quinnipiac in the first round, I do think Merrimack has the best chance to do so because they've played a team like Quinnipiac earlier in the year, UMass Lowell. They played them three times, including, by the way, just last weekend, and they were successful in all three of those games. So that... I think matters. You know, they're not going to be caught off guard. It's not going to be foreign to them playing the way or, or playing against a style that, that the way Quinnipiac plays because Lowell kind of plays the same way. Quinnipiac just has more skill behind it, but they kind of play the same way. So we'll see what happens. I'm really excited for this game. I think this is going to be a dogfight. I think it's going to be a slugfest. I think that both teams, whoever comes out of this one on Friday, is going to be happy that the NCAA went with the, an off day between the, the regional semifinals and the regional finals because I think you know whoever wins the Quinnipiac Merrimack game is going to be pretty beat up the way that both teams play. So I think they're going to, I think they're going to welcome the off day. Uh, for sure. All right, so let's get to our interview with Scott Borg. We talked about last weekend. We talked about this weekend. Uh, we talked about it a lot. So uh, let's get right to it. Merrimack and Quinnipiac on Friday, uh, but let's talk about it with the head coach of the Warriors, Scott Borg. Merrimack back in the NCAA tournament for the first time in 12 years here with the head coach of the Warriors, Scott Borg. And coach, uh, I guess just <laughs> how different is this week going to be it's a normal week in the sense that you're playing, you know, on a Friday night, but a little bit of a different week in terms of preparation, in terms of all the extra stuff that goes into it. Um, you've had a lot of experience with that, of course, over the years. How how much are you going to lean on that this week? Just kind of going over with the guys, the the different practices and media on Thursday. It's it's a Friday game, but it's a different week, right? Yeah, you know, it's. Um... It's good that we're going to be in the East, so we aren't dealing with some travel that we're not used to because obviously uh, we haven't had to do much of that in the last couple of years, um, and we'll get to Bridgeport fairly easily. Um, but it is different for the players because when we get to the rink, it's a lot different setup, and there's a lot of things around you that can be distracting. And I think my experience in that will be helpful because I'll get the guys prepared for it. We won't walk into anything that I haven't seen before, uh, and I want to get that information to our players as quick as we can. Uh, the biggest difference is you're playing a team that you haven't played ever from since I've been here. And uh, that's a, you know, everybody knows how Quinnipiac plays. You can watch video and all those things. But when you haven't played a team and you, you really don't know what to expect, even no matter what the video tells you, um, and so that would be a unique thing. You know, the Hockey East Tournament, you're preparing for two teams that you've seen before. So you're comfortable in that preparation. You're not stretching it very much. Uh, but this game, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to take some information and process it and then execute it. Uh, do they remind you of any team that you play this year, whether in Hockey East or, or non-conference too? They remind me of Lowell in a lot of ways. They're very, they can be a really heavy team. Uh, they're very patient in the neutral zone, which is why they're difficult to play against. Um, they're really good five-man offensive team. I think they have 
uh, a lot of skill as well, but I think they play kind of a Lowell style game. They have a really high level of a work ethic, which I was really impressed with on video. Uh, obviously, I know I saw somebody downstairs on my way up here today, and uh, more students are going down to, to Bridgeport over the weekend. A couple that were trying to coordinate buses, I think, as of this morning. Uh, but a, a really good turnout at the Garden over the weekend. I said to somebody, like, look, I, I was there in 2011. It was way bigger than it was in 20, 2011. You had, like, maybe one load section, two or three balcony sections. At one point, I looked down on Friday night. I go, I'm counting. I'm like, there's nine or ten balcony sections filled up with gold shirts like it was way bigger than than, than i expected uh obviously you talked a little bit about earlier in the week but what, what did you think of the turnout and uh how excited to know that you're going to have you know <laughs> a few hundred students heading down to bridgeport again i thought the uh the garden experience for our school was like an infomercial how could you not watch uh those games or not be there and not just be impressed with merrimack i think the Turnout by our student body was exceptional. Uh, I thought, obviously, the band, you know, I'm a huge fan, and they were great getting the students going. Uh, but when we walked out in the actual warm-ups on Friday night, that's the loudest I've ever heard that building. And I, I played in that building, you know, not, I guess, the old garden. But uh, I've been in that building before. I've played with UNH there and Providence there and big crowds, and it's never been like it was on that Friday night when we walked out onto, onto the ice. And uh, it's, it's great for Merrimack College, but it also shows simply how much support the, the school has around the area. And I think uh, one, one person told me that, uh, you know, it's great to see Merrimack sticking their chest out. And uh, Merrimack does that in a lot of ways. To do it athletically was a lot of fun. One of the things you talked about over the weekend, too, was, was the goaltenders. And uh, it was interesting because you compared them to Omar and Swayman, which I can you know certainly see. There's a lot of comparisons there. But even more so when you look at it, like they're both – there's on paper you would think okay there's well there's a cultural barrier here too like one's from Sweden one's from I think Michigan Zach's from Michigan same thing one's from Alaska you know Swayman's from Alaska Olmark I think is is Swedish, Swedish as well so uh there's a lot of comparisons that you can kind of draw between those two guys and the relationship that they have in terms of how they not only split time in the ice but but interact with each other you know behind the scenes in the dressing room you know it's uh it's a great point because they couldn't be more different um you know, Boyce is all, you know, he's, he's got a lot of swag to him, and he's really, I mean, I love that in him. I love that nothing's, he's nothing, there's no moment that he's not bigger than, and that's really uh, drives his success and drives our team's success. Um, and Hugo's just a different guy. He's just quieter, uh, goes about his business. Uh, he's not going to be big rah-rah, you know, and, and I think that that's, that's good. They, they, they match each other's personalities fit. And then they also, uh, as I've said many times, they actually really care about each other, and that's a lot of fun to be coaching that. Yeah, one of the things I noticed too was was after the game on Saturday, you know, Hugo kind of stayed down for a minute there in the crease and was just trying to look like you know collecting himself. And uh, a lot of guys came over, but but Zach looked like he had a, a pretty long conversation with him or said something to him and kind of got him back up and got him going again. I mean, that's I'm sure he's been in those moments before too. Like it's kind of one of those unique things where. You know, only a goaltender knows what the other goaltender is going through. I agree. I, I, you know, I didn't actually see that, and, I, and I'm not surprised at all, though. And I think, um, you know, for the goalies, our goalies have played great, and they've really put us in a position to be successful, both of them. Um, and I think they take a lot of pride in that. And so having the game end like that, it's going to end like that for one of the two goalies in the net at that point. But uh, it was disappointing for Hugo, obviously. He played a really good game. Um, but Bush understood that, and I think that's really cool he picked him up. You know, it's kind of, it's interesting too, because the, the guy that we don't talk about at that position is Bukowski, who's, 
I noticed on on Sunday uh, when you guys were watching the selection show, you know, he was right in the middle of it, and seems like he's got the personality that that fits into the group really well. He does, you know. It's funny. He's been a really good addition. Uh, everybody has a role on the team, and some guys' roles you get to see him play Friday or Saturday night or every night. Uh, some guys' roles are practice guys who just make you better through the practice uh, effort that they give you. Um, and then the third goalie is always a guy that I worry about because he has to be someone who's a team guy first. He has to be someone who's satisfied that his games are Monday through Thursday. He has to be someone who just takes the net when given to him. Um, and Steve does a great job with that. I know he wants to play. I know he wants more opportunity. Um, and you know, who knows, maybe later in his career he'll get it. Uh, but he really understands the situation and he feeds into it very well. Uh, kind of looking back at the game on Saturday, obviously, I thought you guys were fantastic in the first period, really. It set the tone. Um, where, what did you kind of see happen in the second and third? Did you think Was fatigue a factor with the double OT game the night before? I mean, it kind of naturally thinks you, it could be. Uh, it looked like maybe it was the beginning of the third. Uh, I thought you guys kind of got it back after they had scored that tying goal. But maybe the first few minutes of the third, I, I, you know, I thought to myself that they do look a little tired here, which is understandable given given the game from the night before did you, did you see something similar there you know I thought in the first rate you know just to go back to the first I thought we were in, in a really good place in that game um and you know they got their momentum they got the men momentum on the five on three and and that kind of changed the game you know because at the, that point I thought we were controlling the pace of the game um but it, that happened and then I, I think after the second period and going into the third I think it might have been a little bit mental fatigue and um, not, you know, I'm sure there had to be some physical fatigue, but the adrenaline was pretty high. And, and, mm. and uh, I, th I think we would have gotten through that without much of a problem from an energy standpoint. Um, but I think, hey, we were in a position we just never been in. And I think we might have got on our heels a little bit. Um, not, not bad, but just maybe a little more than we had all game and tried to win the game two to one. It's just always a mistake. Um, and then, obviously, when they tied it, we came back, and I thought it was a really good push. But that, um, I think that was really what happened in the beginning of the third period. I think it was just a moment that we, we were trying to get through, and, yeah. and, and we had to attack, and we just didn't then. Yeah, that's what it looked like. I remember there was a couple of times where, and some of it is just to relieve pressure, right? But you get out of the zone, there's kind of like a high dump through the neutral zone, but not a lot of pressure on their D when they go to collect it. So they were just able to collect the puck and come right back at you. And it did. I said to somebody next to me in the press box, I was like, it looks like they're just trying to hold on right now. Like, and some of it, again, whether it's physical fatigue, mental fatigue, it's like it felt like you needed to see a little bit more attack. And then, to, you know, to your credit, as soon as it happened, as soon as they got that game tying goal, it, it was it was there again. You know, which I'm sure the adrenaline gets fired up at that point. But and it was really only a couple of minutes. Like it was just, it felt like it was the very first, maybe two three minutes of the third period. And that was really it. Yeah, I think I think you're 100 percent right. I, it was funny. Benny Barr was um, Benny Barr. Excuse me, I do that all the time. But Benny Barr was. <laughs> you know, really into our guys on the bench, you know. Um, once it got to 2-2, two to two, because he didn't want to give the ch teammate a chance to hang the head. So, like, let's go get this. We, you know, we, we knew we were going to have to score another goal. Let's go get it now. Um, and I thought that rallied our guys. It pushed our guys. The bench got alive again. Um, and then everybody was, you know, very, very verbal from that point forward. But, um, no, I think you're, you're spot on. And, and uh, hey, it's a moment that hopefully we learn from, and it helps us this weekend. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, it's about experience. We talk about experiences a lot, and it's the first time you know this group we, has been in that type of situation. Even you know, we talked about it. I think going into the weekend, you guys have a you have guys with a lot of experience, but not necessarily experience in those types of situations. Even the older guys, uh, now they've been through that. I would think that's something that will will 
bode well moving forward, especially this weekend. You're going to be very similar. You could be in the same situation again. Yeah, I hope we're in that situation. Again. And, <laughs> Protecting and I, a lead, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, it's, um, yeah, I think that experience is something we'll build off of, not only for this year, you know, because the guys who are here next year, um, they're going to want to get back to that place and that point. And if they do, um, you know, that'd be great. Even even for the coaching staff and the train, like everybody involved in that weekend uh, is going to be able to lean back into it when we're back there again. And that's that's really positive, and that can help you through those those moments, especially you know, the game before us in overtime, you know, how do you manage that mm-hmm. time? That's going to be very helpful this weekend, you know, if, if that happens with the um, Ohio State-Harvard game. So I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable the experience was great. Uh, I'm comfortable that it's going to make us better moving forward. Um, now we're just going to go try to win a game on Friday. How did you manage the overtime? I and mean, was when that BU-Providence game goes to overtime, I mean, Sure, it's, it's got to be weird, right? Because guys are getting ready to play. They kind of have your routine, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, actually, no, they're going to keep going here. you got to just but just stay loose. I mean, what do, you, what do you even do? Well, it's funny. We had talked about it before we ever went down there because I've had that experience on both sides of it, being in the team in that game and being in the team waiting for that game. And waiting for that game, I don't remember who played in front of us when I was at UNH one time. I think it was UMass Amherst. Um, well, and then there was another time it was BUBC where we sat at the Royals Nest and watched them play like three overtimes after in the second game. But, but the one where we waited, uh, you know, I just remember you know having to manage it for the players a little bit because what you just said, you know, they've gone gone through their routine once. We talked about it during the week, um, reinforced it on the way to the game. This could happen. So as you warm up, don't hit your heavy warm up until we hit the button to go. And that's when the game ends. And so I think our guys managed it really well. Um, I think that the people around us helped them manage it well. Uh, and that was a real positive thing. And, and we you know, were able to come out of that pretty strong. What does the plan look like for this week? I think you guys probably head down there, I'm assuming, on Wednesday uh, with practice ice on Thursday. We'll head down. We're going to practice here today and tomorrow. And then we'll head down Wednesday uh, to Bridgeport. Wednesday night, we'll have dinner here on campus at the dining hall and head down um, and then practice Thursday and get right into it. You know, the, the only unfortunate thing about this regional, and uh, I played in this region when I was with Providence, uh, is we stay in New Haven. It's a very nice hotel, but uh, it's a half hour away. And so that's that's a little bit difficult in a tournament like this to be that far away. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. I mean, we'll just go through it. Every, every, every drive to every game on the day of the game anyways. But it's just a little bit further than normal. Yeah, and I would imagine, too, like having the – you don't want to be, even though you are kind of close, you don't want to have to go down there day off. I mean, being down there the night before, practicing there, having the ability to do video in the hotel and just having everybody together probably, I would assume, make it easier to prepare. And even though it is kind of an abnormal week, it, it does add a little bit of normalcy to it. It just feels like a regular road trip. Yeah, no, for sure. And and the other thing, and, I, and this is not lost to me, and I, and I appreciate the fact it's not lost on Merrimack either, this is a lifetime experience for these guys, you know, and, and you want them to appreciate the fact, hey, you're in the NCAA tournament. As much as people say, um, hey, this is just another game, it's not just another game. You know, there's 16 teams still standing. You're one of them. You earned your way here. You're playing on, you know, ESPN, National Spotlight, um, and you're playing against the number two team in the country. I mean, that just doesn't happen every day. So let's buy in, let's enjoy, and let's embrace this opportunity, this challenge, but let's embrace it. All right, Coach, good luck this weekend. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it.
All right, enjoy the games this weekend. Thanks to Scott Borg for taking a couple of minutes in what was a very busy week to talk about this weekend's uh, NCAA tournament game against Quinnipiac. I hope you enjoy the game wherever you're watching it, whether you're traveling down to Bridgeport or whether you're going to be at home watching on television. Uh, Merrimack will have a presence down there. I know the NCAA is a little more uh, restrictive on, on tickets, but I think... Merrimack was sending down about 500 students on on buses for the game, so that should make it for a pretty fun atmosphere uh, down in Bridgeport. Again, hope everybody has fun watching these games, and we'll be back next week to talk about whatever happens. So thanks again for subscribing and listening to the show. We'll talk to you next week. So long.